I want to talk, uh, the first uh, two weeks ago, I talked about uh, Christmas being about light. Jesus is the light of the world and the passages, the, the famous uh, well-known Christmas passages in the Gospels that talk about the light. And last week I talked about beauty, joy, and wonder, uh, sort of sadly but oft missing ingredients uh, for Christian life, not just the season, but for many in their living their Christian life. They've lost their sense of wonder. Uh, Faith has become mere religion, and it's become very calculated, and this sort of childlike wonder that we enjoy about children is often lost on us, and how to restore that through worship. Today, I want to talk about the missionary aspect of Christmas and God's purposes. And I want to start uh, at the beginning of the gospel, but not Matthew or Luke as we've been doing. I'll get to those a little bit later. But I want to start by reading from the gospel of John, which in its own way speaks about Jesus' coming uh, into the world. Uh, John chapter 1, starting in verse 1, I'm going to read a reasonable section, not the whole chapter, but a reasonable section of scripture. And it says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he belie- who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, we ask that you would illuminate your word to us. We ask you, Father, in the midst of this beautiful season, that God, the deeper truths and the freedom and the blessing that you paid so dearly for us to have and to walk in would not be lost on us. Father, you give us ears to hear and a heart to believe and to receive, and we pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, now this is a truly beautiful passage in my mind, from my uh, point of view, of what Christmas is all about, although it is not typically read at Christmas. Um, we had a family tradition in my house. Um, how many have set family traditions at Christmas? What happens when one of those traditions get dropped? The kids cry bloody murder. What happened? Right? We, we think about older people being more traditional, but children can get deeply bound to those traditions. 
because there's a comfort to them and there's a security to them. And, and that's, that's good. That's, that's a good thing. Uh, but in my family, we had a family tradition. And on Christmas Eve, um, we'd hang our stockings and we'd have little treats. Um, and there'd always be a fire in the fireplace. If there wasn't a fire in the fireplace, uh, it was the apocalypse had come. Something terrible had happened. We had to have a fire in the fireplace, hang our stockings. And uh, my dad would read from uh, Matthew and Luke, the very passages I've been sharing over the past several weeks. But we never read from the Gospel of John. And John has some powerful things. My dad loved the Gospel of John. We just didn't read it on Christmas Eve. Uh, I think this passage is filled with some of the things that I've talked about uh, over this month. Uh, it's filled with light, obviously. The first thing we talked about at the beginning of the month, there's all sorts of references to the light shining in the darkness. John the Baptist comes as a witness to the light. He's not the light, but he witnesses to the light. And then the light, who is the light of the world, is coming, and that light is the life uh, of, that light of men is, is life, right? This is, this is truth. And there's also, uh, kind of in between the lines, this sense of beauty, joy, and certainly wonder. This amazing work that God is doing. Um, the thing that hits me about this passage, and we could look at it and break it down from any different number of different angles, but the greatest thing that I see in this passage for the message this morning is God himself as missionary. God himself as as missionary, the greatest missionary, whoever was and ever will be, is God Himself. Just looking over the passage briefly, we can see first of all, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is the most impactful, right out of the block statement that's being made is that God Himself is the gospel message that is ultimately preached. It's very interesting when you read the book of Acts that talks about the Apostle Paul and his comings and going, and it says he came and preached the Christ to them. He didn't come and preach about the Christ to them. He came and preached the Christ to them. Jesus is the word made flesh. This is something that sets Christianity and the Christian faith apart from any other message, any other religion, no matter how much anybody says, oh, they're all the same, more or less. No, they are absolutely not. And I'm not just being partisan in saying that. I'm not saying rah, rah, I'm going to wave a flag for our team. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the truth of the word of God. Every different religion that comes down the pike is about a code in one way or another. It's about a law. It's about a set of rules. It's about how you do this thing, how you dot your I's and cross your T's. And, and, and we have a written word here that to the naked eye, this looks no different than the Quran. And I'm just picking on that because it's another strong book-based religion. But the difference is vast. Because for a Muslim, the highest expression of the word of God is the Quran. For a Christian, the highest expression, listen to the whole of what I'm saying here before you start throwing stones at me. The highest expression of the word of God is not this Bible. The highest expression of the word of God is the word of God made flesh. Jesus Christ. 
The message was too subtle, too glorious, too profound, too life-changing to be contained on the, in, on the printed page. The message is God himself living out his truth as a man among us. That is light years different from the closest competitor. The word here is like John the Baptist. It bears witness to the light. It points to the light. We know Jesus. You can memorize the whole Bible. You can memorize the whole thing. And not have faith. The realm that I've operated in, the realm of uh, biblical scholarship, sad to say. Part of the tools of the trade, part of the, just the, the, the work that I had to do was to deal with the arguments of people who are renowned biblical scholars and have no faith. That's not my judgment on them. That's them saying it about themselves. They themselves are saying it. They themselves are saying, I'm not confessional. I don't believe this. I'm just, I'm just studying these ancient texts. Tragic, but common, sadly common. Jesus transcends all of that. He is the word of God made flesh. He's the message. He's the, he's the, he's the message and the word spoken by the missionary, and he's the, he's the one lived out. When we lived as missionaries and we were in Latin America, happened to be our field as missionaries living there. It was something that God had to deal with us profoundly because, because there's, there's schools of thought saying, hey, just go in and, and, and just do one-week trips or do these different things and, and you can have as much of an impact. You have to live there to recognize that the impact that you have is called incarnational mission. This is where people see you at your best and they see you at your worst. They see you preach the gospel, they, but they also see you with your family. They see you coming and going. You're among them. And you not only speak the message, but you become the message. This is something that Jesus did. Nobody, nobody does that on their own. Everybody that does that is just following the pattern of the one. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's the message. Not only is he the message, he sends messengers. That's what verses uh, uh, 6 through 8 are about. John the Baptist. He sends a man. There's a man sent from God. He was sent. He sent him. He sends messengers. And then, ultimately, God himself comes and dwells. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came, that's verse 9. Verse 11, he came to his own. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So there's all these verbs. You listen to it. The, the, God is the word. God sends messengers. God himself comes and dwells. This is a deeply and powerfully missionary passage. Now I want to, I want to tell you something about missions. <coughs> Excuse me. Missions, however it's done, is about crossing a divide. Crossing a divide. Now what do I mean by that? Missions is about you being in the Lord, 
fundamentally there's different types of missions, but this is, this is essentially what it is. This is there, there's a place where there's truth, light, life, power, deliverance, freedom, and there's a realm that doesn't have it. A divide has to be crossed. When I was in high school, I was raised Roman Catholic, I started to read the Bible. That's a dangerous thing for anybody to do. Started to read, started to pray. And it started to come out of my mouth at school. Went to a public high school. The first divide that I crossed was the nervousness of talking about Jesus to my friends. I hung out with a bunch of nerds. I was a nerd. Nerds waved to me. I was a nerd. And I hung out with a bunch of, we, 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 there's some borderline jocks in it, but mostly we were board gaming nerds. We hung around and played board games. Very cerebral board games. But we played these games, and, and I started to witness to these guys. There was a divide that was crossed. How many know what I'm talking about? When you're like, you come off the nervousness of sharing the gospel with somebody, you care about them. You're your friend. They're family. You love them, and you want them to experience the joy of Jesus like you. And, but you've got to, there's a barrier that's got to be broken. You've got to cross that divide. And I crossed that divide, and a number of my friends in high school got saved, and they began to witness to others, and then other people got saved. It was like a revival. It wasn't something that I birthed. It was, we found out later that there were a group of uh, mothers that were associated with that school that had been interceding and praying for years, and that revival would break out of this public high school, and, and I was just at the right place at the right time, and there was a number of people that came to the Lord in my graduating class and some classes following. But, but it, it, for, for my part, the role that I played, I had to cross a divide. And then when I went off to college, now I was dealing with people that were more strangers to me. And they were very intelligent, very intimidating. And I began to lead them to the Lord. And it, it, it pushed me to the edge of my comfort zone. I didn't have nearly the confidence that I had Witnessing to my friends in high school when I went off to college, it was more of a challenge. I had to cross a bigger divide. But you know what happened? People got saved. People got baptized in the Holy Spirit. People got baptized in water. And then they started leading other people to Jesus. You know, I led a guy to Jesus. He had power encounters with the Holy Spirit. It was just absolutely so powerful. And he got so transformed, he, it was overnight. He had girly posters up in his dorm room. Guys do that in their dorms, girly posters. He, he tore the girly posters down. He stopped drinking. He gave his heart completely over to Jesus and was completely sanctified. And his dad got furious. His dad got furious that he wouldn't drink a beer with him. His dad got furious that he tore down his girly posters. Said he was giving up being a real man. His dad persecuted him. And his dad said, I don't want you hanging around those Jesus freaks anymore. He made him, we were going to room together the next year, and his name was Rich. And then Rich led his roommate, Mike, to the Lord. And so, you know, all these people got saved. And then, and then they forced Rich to go and live in another room with another guy. And you know what Rich did with that other guy? He led him to Jesus. So, you know, I mean, it's just God had a way, but it all had to do with being pushed out of our comfort zone. And then when 
we became missionaries, we had to cross another divide. We had to actually spend a year in, in a country that wasn't even going to be our target country. Our target country was Ecuador. That wasn't even our, we went to Costa Rica for a year just to learn the language. Why? Because the divide was greater. It was a, it was, there was a linguistic divide. There was a language barrier. There was a cultural divide that we had to learn. We had to breach that. And we had to cross over. But I want to tell you, whatever, and, and ours was relatively easy. We only took a year to learn Spanish. There's some people that take some three years to learn Chinese. Sometimes longer to learn Arabic. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful I can speak Spanish, but I want to tell you, I can't imagine having to learn Arabic or Russian or, or, or Chinese. That, that would have been a very high bar. But whatever the barriers that are crossed, nobody crossed a barrier like Jesus. He was in eternal glory in the presence of the Father. Glory and harmony and love, the very definition of home and family beyond our comprehension is what Jesus had. Any glimpse that we've had of what it is to have a love relationship and to be safe and to be at home and to have a family, Jesus was that and had that. The eternal word of God. But the decision was made and all, we, we struggle to put it in human terms, but the decision was made that Jesus would come and he would suffer vulnerability and weakness. That he would be born in the cold, in the midst of danger, under threat of death. He would be born. And he would become one of us. And you know what it just says flat out? His own didn't receive him. His own didn't receive him. I just want to say thank God for Jesus on that. Because it's such a human tendency especially in the light of God and his power, to say, well, you know, if God's in it, then everybody's going to be happy about it. Right? If God's in it, man, uh, you're going to be like the Pied Piper and everybody's going to fall in behind you. Well, <laughs> he came to his own. He came to the ones he created and they didn't receive him. He crossed the divide like nobody crossed the divide. He's the ultimate He's the ultimate crossover. Christmas is about a missionary coming to you. That's what Christmas is about. Christmas is about a missionary coming unlooked for, coming to do good to you. I just want to stop. I just want to stop. My heart is so burdened for God's blessing in your life. But my burden is nothing, nothing for what God wants for you. He who did not spare his only son, but freely gave him up for you, how can he not, along with him, freely give you all things? How can he not? If he gave you Christmas, he gave you the world. It's all yours. That's gospel truth. 
That's gospel truth. And, and this truth, this truth of, of God's incredible blessing and generosity leaks into the gospel story. So let's, let's take a look at Luke quickly. Here, this is Luke chapter 2. And, and I want to read the, re, the lead-in because it's important for the punchline at the end. It says, in the same region, I've read this passage over the last two weeks. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. Everybody say good news. Good news. I bring you good news of great joy. How many, how many have seen Christmas cards with joy on them? Where joy is. It should say great joy. It's good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest on earth peace, among whom he is pleased. You know, I've read this for a couple of weeks now, but I want to tell you what, it's, what that is saying. On earth peace, among those with whom he's pleased. I, I'm gonna t that's a tricky verse to translate, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the DAV, Dave's Amazing Version. The peace, the word peace there, doesn't mean inner tranquility. Okay, so we have different ideas of what peace is. Like, oh, I'm just, I'm just at peace. You know, like Eastern religions, people, oh, they're just going to say a mantra and they're going to somehow achieve some sort of inner equilibrium and they're going to have some inner tranquility. That's not what this is talking about. This is relational peace. This is God is saying, no more war. No more tension. No more fear. No more alienation. No more animosity between humankind and God. I'm going to tell you what God is saying here. I've come. I'm sending angelic messengers to tell you I love you and I'm not mad at you. And my will toward you is good. It's goodwill. That's what he's saying here. He's not saying, hey, blessing on those whom I pleased. And immediately we start questioning, well, am I one of those? Is he pleased with me? Is that, is that message for me? That's missing the point of the verse. The point of the verse is grace. The point of the verse is God is choosing to be pleased with humanity. Through Jesus. And he's graciously and sovereignly sending Jesus. He's, God is becoming human in the flesh. Fully human. That's a sign of God's pleasure toward humanity. Now I want to tell you, say, well, what about the book of Revelation? What about when God pours out his wrath? That's, that's for people who've chosen to say no to that blessing. And so when you, when you turn it aside, when you turn down the favor, then there's nothing left. 
So I'm not saying God's wrath isn't a reality, but I am telling you Jesus came to absorb that wrath graciously. That's what he's saying. Peace on earth. I like the older translations on this one a little bit better. Peace on earth, peace, relational peace, and goodwill toward man. It's God's goodwill toward us. That's what he's talking about. Beautiful passage. It's very important for what we're talking about missionally here. It says, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Now here's the punchline, verse 17. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. I talked about wonder last week and how this passage talks about the wonder in the, in the past. But you know what? Something's got to happen before you can have wonder. Before you can experience the wonder of God, somebody's got to tell you. Somebody's got to make it known to you. Then you can say, wow. But there's no wow until somebody tells you. I mean, it's pretty simple, right? Isn't it a shame that there's people all around you? When you walk in the mall, there's people in and out. People in the cash register ahead of you. People in the line behind you. People bustling by you in the food court. There's no wow in their Christmas. Why? Because they're blind and deaf and completely without the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They might be humming along with the Christmas carols, but they don't know him. Now, I want to tell you very simply, give you some insight on this. What, who are the shepherds? This is going to contrast with what goes on in Matthew. Who are the shepherds? What kind of, mis- what kind of missions is going on here? I could throw out big technical phrases, but I'm going to tell you very simple, very, very simply, put it very simply for you. These are insiders going out. These are insiders going out. These are shepherds. These are Jewish. These are people who knew, who, as simple as they were, they had burning in their hearts through centuries of teaching and centuries of tradition and centuries of truth, all the way back to the law of Moses. They knew that the Messiah was going to come. They knew it. They had that hope burning in their heart. They knew, they knew the son of David was going to come. On Wednesday, uh, I'm going to teach about the son of David. We're, gonna do, we're teaching about the prophecies midweek, and this week I'm going to talk about the son of David. But they knew the son of David was going to come. They knew when the angels dropped the name David, they knew that rang all sorts of bells for them. This was a fulfillment of centuries of expectation. And boy, those angels came in and they pushed all their buttons and they pulled all their levers. As common, as simple as they were. They were insiders. And this message and the fulfillment of this prophecy set it on fire. And so they went and they told other people. Insiders going out. That's part of missions. That's crossing that divide. Insiders, people who are in the the know. People who have the inside track. People who have a hold of God and God has a hold of them. Going and sharing. Saints, this is... 
This is why we're going to fast and pray at the beginning of the year. Because nobody who just walks in religion is willing to cross the divide. Not for Jesus. Maybe if you're a slave, maybe, maybe if you've you got a religion that says you're going you're to be eternally damned if you don't. But that's not Christianity. Christianity says you're saved by grace through faith. And your salvation isn't dependent upon you going. So if, if you're like, well, I've, I've already got what I need. My name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I'm good. Why should I cross any divide? Why should I discomfort myself? Why should I do that? The reason, pure and simple, is you've risen above mere religion and there's a fire in your bones. And you've got something greater that's compelling you. And that's why we want to fast and pray and we want to be sold out to Jesus and we want to be on fire. Because then life comes out of that. Then other people are impacted. So insiders going out. How many are insiders? How many know Jesus? Hallelujah. Then you have Matthew chapter 2. Just a couple of verses here. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, so after the events of, that we just read in Luke, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Touched on this passage in the past, and I'm not going to read any more of it. I just want to point out this is the other side of the coin. These are outsiders coming in. Both of those types of mission are found in the Old Testament. You can read it in Isaiah chapter 2, Micah chapter 4. It says, in the latter days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be raised up above the other mountains that surround it. And the nations will stream to it because the law will go out from Jerusalem. Do you get it? In, they will stream to it, and the law will go out from it. In, out. Sort of, sort of push, pull, push, pull. Our role as the church, it's a false choice to say, well, which, which is it? One or the other. It's both. Both are operating at the same time. So we need to be in a place where when we come together, we create a space. We create an atmosphere that is welcome that is conducive. Read the rest of Matthew chapter 2. Jerusalem wasn't a very welcoming place for those magi. The Her Herod got in cahoots with the high priests. The high priests were spiritually dense. I mean, you'd think if they're really high priests and they're really serving God, they're going to be like, what? A star? I could have had a V8. I mean, what happened here? I missed the boat. How is it these, these foreign stargazers picked up on it and I missed it? But whatever, better late than never. Let's all go down to Bethlehem and let's worship him. Instead, they're like, look, we're, we got temple duty today. We're busy. They get all gummed up. And then they send these other guys down there to worship him. It wasn't welcoming. It wasn't welcoming for those men. Herod is trying to play the guys. He's trying, to, he's trying to deceive them. He's trying to work the situation so that he can kill the child. Not, not welcoming. Now, that's an extreme, obviously, unique example. But for us, we want both. As people, 
who have the message of Christ, who've been impacted by the message of Christ, we want to collectively do both, right? Collectively, we want to be insiders going out, and we also want to be ready for outsiders to come in, right? Not just come to the church, although amen to that, but come into our lives. Outsiders brushing up against us. You see, because this isn't the temple. Where's the temple? Anybody know where the temple is? Everybody pat your chest. I'm the temple. Can you say that with me? I'm the temple. I'm the temple. Right? So when outsiders come to you, whether it's here in this place, you want to create, or in your own life, you want to create an atmosphere that's, that's receptive to them. Right? Where, 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 where they can hear. Right? But you also want to go out. So it's both. It's both of those things happening at the same time. Now, I want to ask a, a very simple question. What makes the church the church? What makes the church the church? These are questions of identity and vision. What makes the church the church? Now, functioning, you push Christians, and most of them will be able to come up with an answer that's more or less in line with the truth. But where, where many, many Christians function, and I'm, this is a challenge here a little bit, um, will be like, well, you know, what makes the church the church? We've got a building, we gather together, and we talk about God. Okay. You just describe Freemasonry. It's not enough to have a building to get and get together and talk about God. You just, yeah, you just describe Sikhs or Muslims or Jehovah's Witnesses. God bless every single one of them and may, all, may they all come to the truth. Not throwing any stones, just saying. What sets us apart? What sets us apart is we live the exchange lives. We've been born again. We've been baptized and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. We have something that shakes us to our core and compels us. Not just tradition or habit. That's not, tradition and habit doesn't make a church. This is where we have something, there's, God's pouring out his power, and he's doing something that is transformative. So powerful, there's so much transforming power in you, Ken, that it bubbles out of you, and flows like a river and transforms other people around you. Amen? This is, this, is, this is what makes the church the church. Um, when I first came to the Lord, there's a very common thing I heard said. And bear, bear with me on this. Um, that Every human being has a Jesus-shaped, Jesus-sized hole in their heart. And there is nothing that can fill that hole but Jesus. There's nothing that can kill, fill that void but Jesus. You can throw in sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You can throw in big fancy cars and houses, you can throw in professional success, you can throw in all of those things, but you're still empty. How, know, how many know what I'm talking about? Amen? St. Augustine said, 
thou hast made us for thyself. And our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. That's, that's, that's gospel truth right there. That's good preaching. Nobody, nobody is at rest, deeply at rest within. They might have a superficial happiness, but nobody has deep abiding peace until they have Jesus filling that void in their life. Amen? Now, I want to tell you the next truth that you may not have heard as often. Now we're new creatures. We're new creations in Christ Jesus. The old is gone. The new has come. Amen? All right, so we're new creatures in Christ Jesus, and we've been created for something great. Every Christian reading the Word of God, singing the worship songs that we sing, being around other Christians, we all innately know somewhere in the bottom of our being there's this sense that we're supposed to be used of God. That God is supposed to do something significant through us. That before we pass and we, we see him face to face, there's some impact that he has for us in this world. How many know what I'm talking about? How many, amen? We're supposed to make a difference. There's supposed to be something. And I want to tell you, just like an unbeliever has a Jesus-shaped void in their life, every believer has a mission-shaped void in them. We are thoroughbred horses, and we're meant to run. Now, what happens when you take a thoroughbred horse and you put it in a gopher hole? Not very, not very roomy. Not going to be able to stretch his legs. Not going to be able to gallop. There's a void. There's a void inside of us. And we're ill at ease. What you are created for in Christ Jesus. You're created for good works that God's prepared in advance for you to do. Not for you to earn your salvation. He's already taken care of that. But out of the abundance of the blessing he's poured into your life, he has things for you to do. He has a mission for you to fulfill. And together, collectively, we have a mission to fulfill. And that mission has to do with being insiders going out and being a place where outsiders can come in and be blessed. Now, here's what happens. Just like an unbeliever, hear me now, saints, this is good preaching. Just like an unbeliever is going to have that gaping maw, that black chasm in their life that they're going to try to throw all these different things into to, to find peace, to try to satisfy themselves, to try to scratch that itch. Believers, knowing they're supposed to do something significant, are going to try to fill that void. Jesus already has the, the itch scratcher. He's already made it very clear. Last thing he said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. That's it. Bam. In a nutshell. Pretty simple. Pretty straightforward. The manifestation of that, how each of us work it out, is going to be particular to us and our gifts and where we are called in our life. But essentially, that's it, is that we're to have an impact for the light where we are. We're to share. Now, if we don't do that, here's what's going to happen. False vision gets poured in. If you don't, if you don't do Jesus' vision, false vision is going to fill that void. 
I just described the reason be, be, behind the majority of church splits. You know, churches, churches have split over the color of the carpeting. Churches have split. I heard a story of a, a huge, impactful church in Hong Kong, actually. And there was one deacon that, that insisted that the only way to serve the communion was to break the bread with his hands. Because he said, I, I would never do violence to the Lord's uh, body with a knife. So I'm going to break the, the, the bread with, with my hands. And there was another lead deacon that said, oh, I could never desecrate the body of the Lord with my bare hands. So I'm going I'm to use a knife to cut. And so neither one of those are anywhere in Scripture. It doesn't matter. Who cares? But they made it an issue, and it became a huge, and it split the church. It split the church. You say, well, that's crazy. But that's, that's where false vision comes in. You know, do you know how the number one way to resolve the problem of an empty glass? Fill it. Fill it with clean water. That's the quickest way. Everybody, listen, I'm just telling you something about your life in Jesus. I'm just telling you. Because I believe in you. And more importantly, God believes in you. God believes you have gifts. God believes you have abilities. My family, we went. We went to a foreign country. God's not, he's not requiring that out of 99% of you. It's, it's, I'm just being candid. But there's, he is calling all of us to shine. Amen. He's calling all of us to have a Jesus impact on the world. In one way or another, you want to go and tell. In one way or another, you want to go and tell. I mean, number one, I go back to what I was saying before. You got to fan the flame inside of you. You got to get a hold of Jesus, and you got to let Jesus get a hold of you. And you got to pull on that until he begins to overflow you. Then it's not strained, right? Then it's not artificial. There have been different times I, I, out of just sheer obligation, when I was a younger man, out of sheer obligation, like I've got to share, I, I, it was, I was guilted into it, I was compelled into it, I was talked into it, I worked up my mind, and it was very artificial, it was very strained. And there were different, it was one or, one or two times I actually did damage, because I was, I, was, I was doing it in my own power. But if you're abiding in the Lord and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, God can use you to impact other people for Jesus. Now I'm going to give you a couple easy ways. One, invite people to church. Invite people to church. What are the statistics that if, if, uh, if an unbeliever is invited to church by a believer, anybody care to know the statistics? Of what the what the uh, what most unbelievers have answered, what ans what, what the what the percentage is is, is like eighty percent, like eighty percent. That's eight out of ten. That's four out of five. If you ask five statistically, if you ask five people, hey, would you come to church with me? An acquaintance, a personal acquaintance of yours. Hey, we've got a uh, we've got a Christmas brunch. Uh, you go to church on Christmas? Do you have a church you go to? No? Oh, we've got a Christmas brunch, and uh, there's going to be Christmas carols, and uh, um, we're just going to celebrate together, and it's 
there's going to be music. There's, it's all decorated up for Christmas. You, you, you'll really like it. Statistics are four of those five people will say yes. That's, that's pretty high odds. That's pretty good. Right? And then they come, they hear the gospel message, and then next thing you know, they're in heaven forever, and they're your neighbor in heaven. They say, I don't want them to be my neighbor. Well, okay, well, they'll be my neighbor. God will clean them up. God's cleaning you up. God will clean them up. They'll be fine. They'll be good neighbors. Hallelujah. And they'll bring a smile to the face of God eternally because of what you did. Just invite them to church. If you don't know how, I want to tell you another great way to share Jesus with somebody. If they're sharing troubles with you, you say, can I pray for you? How many can say those words? Can I pray for you? Five words. Can I pray for you? Do you know how many people say no? No, don't pray. Not many. You have hardcore unbelievers who will say, yeah. Now, here's the trick. Three more words. Can I, oh, four more words. Can I pray now? Can I pray now? And then they're like, okay. Might be a little bit weirded out, but that's okay. Jesus comes off as a little bit weird to, uh, to unbelievers. That's okay. They think sin is normal. Of course, of course holiness comes off. Of course mercy comes off as weird. Right? Now here you do. Here's, this is what you do. Yeah, Anthony, come up here. Can I, you can be my center for the day. All right, come on up here. All right, all right. So here, can I can I pray for you now? Yes. Uh, that, see, I see. He did that really well, <laughs> right? So I say, well, let me pray for you right now. I put my hand on his shoulder. Say, God, bless Anthony, bless Jamie, bless the children, give them everything they desire, use their life in Jesus' name. Amen. I actually prayed that for reals, right? Now, wasn't that great? Yeah, that's all you have to do. All right, you can go. I'll keep praying for you, though. <laughs> go and tell. One way or the other, go and tell. Go and tell. You know, there was one guy I led to Jesus in college, and you know how I led him to Jesus? He asked me how I was doing, and I said, I'm doing fabulous. And then we ran. He was in one of my classes. He was in my dorm, and he ran into me a couple days later. He said, how you doing, Dave? I said, I'm doing incredible. I'm doing so well. And then he asked me again. And finally he said, what's with you? Everything's just fantastic with you. I said, I got Jesus. He said, I want some of that. And he got saved. Became one of my best friends. All I did is all I had to do is just tell him I was doing great. I, hey, and even when I was doing lousy, compared to him, I was doing great. Right? I mean, if you're dealing with a sinner, I don't care if you're on, the, on, the, on your, the, the end of the line. If you're dealing with a sinner, I guarantee you, you're doing way better than they are. So tell them the truth according to their life. They're in darkness, they're in ignorance, and they're bound for hell. I, you're doing better. I'm telling you. Tell them the truth. Hallelujah. I want to invite the musicians to come. Hallelujah. Jesus came. He came for us. He came for us. He came for us. He came for us. Hallelujah. 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 
Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, I just, I just, I want us to pray. Um, and I want to come down here. Um, while our worshipers play, I want to make an invitation. If you are hurting, if you're hurting, if you're here today and you're hurting, you could be hurting in any number of ways. You could be hurting physically. You could be hurting emotionally. You could be hurting financially. You could be hurting in your family. If you're hurting, I want to pray for you. I want you to have prayer. I want you to have prayer. If you want me to pray for you, Pastor Bob, Pastor Bob's our prayer pastor. Would you come up here with me? If you want to be prayed for, I want to invite you to come forward. If you don't feel like you want to be prayed for, I want you just to pray right where you are. It's only going to be a few minutes. But I, I just want you to pray where you are. Pray for the people who are hurting. How many know there's hurting people? Amen. So you want to pray for them. You want to pray for hurting people. If, if it's not you, just pray where you are. Don't, don't, don't just be a spectator, but pray. Pray. But if you are if you are hurting and you want prayer, I want you to come forward. If you can't come forward, uh, hallelujah. Patty, would you go pray for Tina? Pray for Tina. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. We want to pray right now. Glory to God. God bless you. God bless you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you.